the couch just sort of went flying forward. The two rear wheels left the ground, and um, the bags that we had strapped behind the couch wound up flying under the couch, which had flown into the air. And then I think Ivan wound up flying over the fr- over his pedals. I was holding onto the handlebars, so I kind of held on like uh, I was riding a bucking bronco. I managed to stay on the bike, but when I came back down on the couch, the couch was a few feet higher than it was before because it had all our bags stuffed underneath it. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 195, Riding the Coast of Canada on a Couch Bike. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. Well, adventures don't always have to be involving scrambling to oxygen-depleted peaks or leaping from perfectly good airplanes. You can always have your own adventure on your leather love seat, which is mounted to a custom bicycle chassis. Yeah. Brent Curry and his buddy Ivan did just that. Once their couch bike creation was completed in 2002, they set off on their comfortable pedaling tour of eastern Canada's coastline. Brent's here today to tell us all about that tour and a few other trips and contraptions he's come up with. So Brent, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. That's good to have you, bud. So before we get into these uh, these zany contraptions, and I say that because they are some cool things that, uh, that you have up on your site, and we'll get into that. Before we do that, I want to dive into your background a little bit. Um, there's a reason. You have a history in bikes. There's a reason that you're designing all these cool contraptions. Tell us about that. Well, I, I always have loved bikes, and um, I guess it's for that reason I chose to study mechanical engineering. I went to the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, and that school has a co-op program, so I had to do a lot of bunch of work terms for, well, could be any, any kind of company really, but I chose to work for bike companies, so my first uh, work term was in France working for uh, a bicycle company called Vitus. Uh, from there, I went out to Vancouver, BC, Canada, and worked for Synchros Applied Technology. They were making... Um, seat posts and stems and whatnot for bicycles at the time. Um, from there, I did a work term in Australia, working for uh, a company that developed bicycles for Australia Post, mail delivery bicycles, and uh, they also imported GT bikes. Um, then I worked for uh, Chris DeKirk, who's a legendary frame builder in Vancouver, BC. I learned a lot from him as well. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I guess I uh, just have always loved bikes and was able to, to learn a lot through university. Um, finished my degree and um, kind of, I felt like I still, I wanted to continue working in the industry, but I felt like I had a certain type of bike I wanted to make that probably wasn't commercially viable. And I s- struggled to come up with a way I could make it, sort of make a living doing what I wanted to do. And what I chose to do is set up a bicycle rental business whereby I could build a bunch of wacky bikes that probably no one would ever buy, but that some people might be interested in riding for an afternoon or something like that. <laughs> so I founded a company called The Bicycle Forest, and it was a bicycle rental business that allowed me to justify the time I was spending building a bunch of crazy bicycles and... Yeah, I, I guess I all of this sort of sprouted from that. So, did you, as a kid, were you a uh, inventive and creative kid, and just kind of always tinkering with bikes back then? Yeah, I, I was. I guess uh, my brother and I uh, tinkered a lot with our bikes. I guess, I, I guess in retrospect, uh, nothing we did was all that remarkable. But uh, 
like any kid, we, we did the best we could with the, with the few uh, resources that we had available to us as kids. <laughs> well, that's the fun way to do it. I remember being a kid and trying to cobble together old wheels and pedals and and bunch of wood I can find in my dad's garage and just kind of seeing what might roll down the hill, you know, okay. in a in a fun manner. <laughs> okay, so bikeforest.com is the the site that you were talking about and I was perusing that site and I would uh I would ask our listeners, go check that out while you're listening to the show if you can, because there are some really neat designs and contraptions, uh, all human-powered on that site that that you have come up with and others have, that have come up with and submitted. So let's dive into the to the big one, the elephant in the room, which is the couch bike. So do me a favor and explain, one, how you got this idea uh, to build this thing, and two, what it is. Huh. Well, I guess as a as a kid, I I learned about um, this uh, this idea of kinetic bicycle or kinetic sculpture racing, um, and there are a number of kinetic sculpture races around the world. Uh, the, the world championships, I guess, are in Ferndale, California. Um, so in in these events, people just build these typically amphibious bikes that. Uh, I guess they're just pretty, I guess they're almost like a Dr. Seuss, uh, type of, uh, contraption. Right. And I've always just found that type of thing, uh, really inspiring. So, um, this, this couch bike was sort of my, uh, my approach to my, um, take on, on that genre of bike. And so what it is, is, uh, I just took my living room couch and I built, uh, a Kamali steel tube frame to go underneath it. And I mounted these four wheels to the frame, put pedals and cranks and chains and um, railers and so on, made, made this thing um, steerable and, and uh, propellable. It's not the word. I made it so that you could drive it. <laughs> Human-powered. Uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess prior to actually getting started on the project, um, this sort of got this email out of the blue from... Uh, a friend I knew in high school. We'd met for uh, just one year of our, our high school. I guess I was in grade 10, I think, at the time. And he uh, came on foreign exchange from Norway. And uh, we had we spent a lot of time ski racing together uh, in that one year he was visiting. And we lost touch when he went back to Norway. And I guess uh, the Internet was still a, bit, a little bit... Uh, little bit of a new thing at the time so he used the internet to, to reach out to me and I guess it was 2002 and uh, so this was about 10 years since I'd seen him last and uh, he was proposing coming to Canada and doing some sort of trip in Canada and wondered if I maybe had some vacation time to, to join him on this trip and so I'd been thinking about this, this idea of building, a, building this, this couch on wheels and and I thought that if I were to build it, it would be really fun to take it on a trip somewhere. So I pitched this idea to him, and he uh, felt it sounded like a good idea. So he agreed to just join me on this on this coach bike trip. So um, that uh, I guess kicked off my um, construction phase. I, I knew that I, I had a timeline to, to meet, and I think he was coming in um, mid-August, and. So this was about three months prior to that. Um, I just started to uh, gather together all the uh, the materials I was going to need and um, started started welding up this uh, this couch bike. As the the date wore on, I guess he sometimes check in with me and ask me how it was coming along. And most of the time, I'd have to be honest and say I wasn't as far along as I'd hoped to be at that time, but. <laughs> All along, I felt like, you know, it is coming along, and, and I'll get it done by the time he, he comes in August. And uh, eventually, August rolled around, and I still didn't actually have it done. And I felt really bad about that, because he had plane tickets booked, and uh, he, he was coming, whether it was ready or not. And um, so the day arrived, and he, as we picked him up in the airport, and uh, and brought him back to our place in, in Waterloo, Ontario. Um and uh didn't really have a whole lot of time to waste with uh 
with uh, catching up uh, after 10 years, we really had to just get back into the garage and, and keep working on this thing. So I actually, from for a while, I guess it was nice that he had other friends in, in the area that he wanted to catch up on, catch up with as well. So he visited with some of those friends, but at the same time, he put in a lot of, uh, a lot of sweaty hours in the garage finishing off the couch bike and, um, and together we got it done in about three days after he arrived, we, we got the couch bike built and, uh, just enough time to, I guess, ride it around the block, confirm that it worked. From there, we went to the grocery store with it and bought a whole bunch of food because we'd just been focusing so much on building. We were a little bit starving and so we had a bit of a celebratory dinner. After that, we had to tear it all apart and we had to paint it. Uh, then we kind of waited for the paint to dry overnight. And the next day, we just uh, loaded it up into a, a rental van and we drove out, out to the East Coast where we sort of had this vague idea that we'd be doing some trip out there through some route that we had yet to establish. Did you have a, a grand plan for the bike itself or was it more of a just kind of fabricate as you go? I, I did uh, mock it up, uh, like I had a CAD model of the, the bike I intended to build. Uh, along the way, revisions were made, and obviously didn't have time to update my CAD model. So in the end, the, the bike I ended up with was quite a bit different than what I had initially set out to build. But um, nonetheless, I was actually really pleased with how it turned out. Um, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, it, uh, it came together, I would say, better than I had hoped. <laughs> that's good so this is a two-person love seat leather and it's strapped to a four-wheel bicycle you guys are pedaling with your legs almost kind of straight out from you so like kind of recumbent style okay. um how do you steer it who steers it the the couch bike is steered with a tiller it's, uh, it's just this uh handle that pops up on the, the left hand side of the couch um it's the arm of the tiller comes over the, the armrest of the couch, so you can rest your arm on the armrest and just push the tiller forward and backward to, to steer the, the two front wheels uh, side to side. They're, they're linked together, so you just use the one tiller. That tiller actually has a, a brake lever on it as well, and that brake lever activates a, a disc brake on the front left wheel. And then when you're steer when you're driving the couch bike, what you should actually do is have your other arm, your right arm, over the back of the couch where there's a second handlebar, uh, just a static handlebar, but uh, it, it has some gear shifters and a second brake lever, and that brake lever activates a disc brake on the right-hand uh, wheel. So what you, it's pretty important to actually brake with both, uh, both brake levers at the same time, because otherwise you can uh, sort of have a, you can cause the couch bike to spin out on you. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to make you tell a story about that a little bit later on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't realize that you were braking with your right hand. I saw in the photos, you know, whoever was driving the thing or operating the thing always had his arm around the back of the couch. And I thought that was just more for bracing or to hold on. But there's actually a, a brake and, and gear gear shift lever over there. That's right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So I think I read that there's something like 140-some gear combinations on this That's thing. right. Yeah, I guess they tend to be skewed in the in the high the, the high gear range of things, which is isn't really that helpful. Um, but there, the lowest gear is uh, I kind of forget at this point. I think ten percent lower than a, the lowest gear on a typical mountain bike. And, uh, the highest gear is actually several times higher than the highest gear on a mountain bike, which, like I say, it makes it somewhat redundant and. <laughs> so, so you built this this massive couch bike, and you made it for speed. I don't know if you intended to, but you, you have a lot of speed built into this gearing. That's right. You, Is this you something had to get, uh, you get going fast on the downhill? You could uh, you could continue to pedal on the downhill. <laughs> Is this something that you want to pedal and get going no, fast? <laughs> no, you usually want to take it a little slow on the downhill. I guess my top speed I think was about forty four kilometers an hour on the downhill, which Normal bike would be fairly tame, but on the couch bike, we, uh, we had us shaking in our boots. 
Yeah, I'll bet. I read that, and uh, so it equates to about 27 miles per hour. And that's, uh, like you said, you wouldn't think much about 27 miles per hour on a, a two-wheeled bike that you just ride normally and buy from the store. But on this contraption, I bet that could get a little a little scary and a little wobbly. Oh, yeah. Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkle, an Olympic trials athlete, to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge. All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen-carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hard-working muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month through-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at biotropiclabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bentgate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bentgate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bentgate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. So you guys uh, then went east, and you went um, over to Prince Edward Island, right? That was your yeah. your plan. Well, we, your... we ended up um, we started in um, Miramichi in Brunswick, so um, along the, the coast there just seemed like a nice spot to start. Uh, New Brunswick is considered one of the maritime provinces of Canada, so wanted to include that in our in our travels and. So we just uh, pulled up at a tourist information center in Miramichi, uh, set up the bike. Uh, we're pleased to learn that the, um, the, the people manning the, the tourist information booth were fine having us park our vehicle there for as long as we wanted uh, for the duration of our trip. So we uh, we just left it there and, and headed off on our couch bike. That's the uh, van. The, yeah, we left the van behind and, and headed off on our couch bike heading east down the, down the coast uh, with, the, with the idea of getting um, get, crossing over to, to Prince Edward Island where we ultimately spent most of our time. Yeah. Okay, and then your was your idea to circumnavigate it or did you have a, a specific destination in mind? Yeah, we really we really didn't know. Like when we left near Mishi, we'd had probably a total of maybe three kilometers on the bike at that time and, and here we were reassembling it fresh from paint, really, for the first time ever. Um, uh, and, yeah, we didn't really know how far we'd get on any particular day, so it was really difficult to, to really have much of a plan. Um, so, yeah, we just we just headed on down the road, and uh, this was uh, summer of 2002, so we didn't have a sort of Google map or anything. I guess Ivan, was, uh, Ivan just had this uh, paper map spread out in his lap for much of the, the time, just sort of figuring out where we were going. It was fairly straightforward. We started on Highway 11, I guess, which is a fairly busy highway along the, the coast of New Brunswick. But we knew that we knew right away we wanted to get off that highway because there is a smaller road closer to the coast. Um, and 
So we turned down this road and headed heading towards the coast. Ivan had um, the map spread out in front of him, looking for this this crossroad we needed to get, which would ultimately be the the road that we we'd follow along the coast. And um, yes, he uh, yeah, there's a lot of just like little driveways and things. We weren't sure which road it was, and he uh, finally, as we approached this one crossroad that ultimately was the, was the one we wanted, uh, he kind of realized at the last minute that, okay, here's where I need to turn, and um, so I uh, executed one of my very first turns on the couch bike, and uh, just sort of under pressure, wound up um, turning the steering wheel a little little too quick, and uh, wound up um, causing the, the couch bike to do an endo, so we, the couch just sort of went flying forward, the two rear wheels left the ground, and... Um, the, ba- the bags that we had strapped behind the couch wound up um, flying under the couch, which had flown into the air. Uh, <laughs> and then I think Ivan wound up flying over the fr- over his pedals. I was holding onto the handlebars, so I kind of held on like uh, I was riding a bucking bronco. And um, I managed to stay on the bike, but when I came back down on the couch, the couch was few feet higher than it was before because of how all our bags stuffed underneath it and um, and uh, we had I guess we, we were pretty much just sprawled all over the highway and and we just had to scramble to get uh, everything just sort of taken off this road and um, so we could collect ourselves and, um, and and figure out if any damage was done and, and it, at first it was kind of harrowing because the we, we had the couch off the bike and and we could just see this bare couch bike frame and it was obvious that not all four wheels were touching the ground um the the two rear wheels actually have suspension swing arms on them which which is the key to ensuring that all four wheels stay on the ground when you're riding but, but yeah despite all this that there's this one wheel that was just way off the ground and so i wasn't sure what had bent or or what had happened and yeah i was pretty stressed out but um Upon further inspection, we realized that we we built this couch bike to be te- it sort of had these telescoping tubes, so you can um, you can slide the tube in and out to accommodate different widths and lengths of couches, and <laughs> and it, it it was just that some of these telescoping tubes had twisted inside of themselves, so we had to just loosen the pinch bolts and uh, sort of settle everything down again and tighten everything up and. It actually turned out that everything was totally fine. Um, it was just sort of a, sort of a, well, it was, it was just a scare. And, and it turned out that uh, we were able to carry on, um, with everything, uh, everything intact and, uh, we were, we were quite relieved. And, uh, actually, I guess as, as we were, um, sort of sorting all this out, we, we were across the road and sort of in the bushes and, and most of our stuff, the couch and our backpacks and all, all our luggage and everything was over on the other side of the road by this field. And we actually saw a police car roll by and stop and kind of investigate all this, this odd stuff sitting at the side of the road and just drive on. And it was a little bit of a relief to us at the time. But, um, uh, as we, once we got rolling again and we, uh, carried on along this coastal highway, which is a lot a lot quieter than Highway 11, where we've been before. Um, we're we're starting to relax and starting to kind of feel uh feel, feel a little more confident in our uh, in our coach bike handling skills. Oh, but uh, just as we were starting to feel more feel more comfortable, like I say, uh, this this police car, a different police car, drove by us and um, rolled down his window and spoke out the passenger side. Uh, you know, as he drove past, uh, he said, uh, I'm not sure if that, uh, that thing you're riding is legal, but, but if that is a bicycle, you guys should have helmets on. And, uh, <laughs> I guess he, he informed us of, uh, a lot, one of the laws in New Brunswick, which we didn't know at the time. And that is that if you're on a bicycle, you have to, you have to be wearing a helmet. And, uh, we all, Ivan and I both, uh, are, uh, we, we always wear helmets when we ride our bikes, but I guess we made this decision not to bother bringing, uh, Helmets with us on this couch bike trip, just because we thought, well, we're going to be going so slow on this couch bike, and 
couch we're sitting on is already so cushioned, surely we're going to be fine without helmets. Of course, we had that um, a big crash only only minutes earlier, and so we were definitely in agreement with the, with the police officer that <laughs> we were definitely going to going to stop and get helmets the next opportunity. Um, and actually, with much to our relief, the police officer said his piece and just carried on down the road. So, uh, so that was that was good, I guess, to, to sort of have our first brush with the law and to see that it went all, all right. Uh, so, yeah, we we carried on down the road and we settled in Bay Saint Anne that first night, um, just a small little community in, uh, in New Brunswick um, on the sh- on the shoreline there, and uh, settled in uh, into a campground and. And they considered our first day a success. So, so things things started out a little rocky, but but eventually uh, we were finding our groove and we we're feeling pretty good. Well, it sounds like you guys were in the process of testing while while starting out on your trip. There wasn't much testing of this thing <laughs> before you got going. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I guess uh, like I say, I, I definitely planned to have a whole lot more organized before Ivan's arrival. But uh, as as luck would have it, I, I just <laughs> fell a little behind. Yeah, that's right. It made it more fun that way. So, did you guys ever check into the the legality of it before heading out? You know, does it qualify as a bike, or does it qualify as something else? We didn't. I, I didn't really do a serious investigation into the legality. I guess where I'm from in, in Waterloo, Ontario, we're surrounded by Mennonite country. So the Mennonites of Canada are a lot like the Amish in Pennsylvania and right. other parts of the U.S. So. Um, we see these Mennonites out on the road all the time with their horse and buggies and, uh, and people in our area are accustomed to giving these horse and buggies a wide berth and they drive by in their cars. And I guess I just kind of assumed that we'd fall into the same category as horse and buggies. Um, but, uh, and I will, I guess I just sort of left it at that. Hope for the best. And otherwise I felt like it, at the same time, it is more or less a bicycle too. It's, it's got pedals and cranks and a chain and so on. It's not motorized. So <laughs> I figured like we're safe on that front also. But I guess it was the next day that this actually became a bit of an issue. Uh, Ivan and I were, were setting out, uh, through Kitchibukwak National Park, uh, which is a beautiful park in New Brunswick, uh, with a pretty nice quiet road. It was, at that particular time of the year anyway. Um, and, uh, and actually it was starting to, starting to look a little bit like rain on this particular day, but, um, we, it was still, still dry at the time and we were just pedaling down the road, minding our own business when, um, we did notice a police car coming at us in the opposite direction and we passed it, waved at the police officers and carried on, but, uh, I guess eventually we realized that they, Hung a Yui and uh, they can't come back to to check us out and they put on their lights and pulled us over and um, so there were two police officers there that that got out and uh, and uh, yeah they just didn't quite know what to make of us they but they definitely wanted to have a look at this uh, the thing we were riding and um, so they came right out and said that they had some concerns about the legality but at the same time they. They were also honest. They they said they weren't really sure what the legality was, or whether it was legal or not. And um, so we had this discussion, and I was quite quite cordial, I guess I'd have to say. Um, I just he police officer gave me an opportunity to sort of tell him my thinking, and I explained the same same as you. Like my thinking was that it was um, it was uh, yeah, it would just sort of fall under the same category as a Mennonite buggy or something like that. I sort of forgot actually. Um, the other interesting interaction we had with these police officers was that their very first question for us was, where did you guys come from? So I told them we, we came from Waterloo, Ontario, and, and I could just tell, like, he was, this really kind of blew him away. And I, I guess I could tell that his assumption, I think this is a reasonable assumption, is if I told him we came from Waterloo, Ontario, that we simply driven our couch bike all that way. <laughs> but I think I could just tell he was just, standing there more or less stunned at what I told him and I felt like okay I have to kind of come out and, and, and confess that no we, we didn't actually drive it all the way from Ontario we started a, maybe a hundred kilometers uh, down the coast in, in, uh, in Miramichi and, uh, so 
So uh, I guess we went from sort of this, uh, in a way, almost suggesting that, well, we've come this far, we've pedaled all the way from Ontario, so far be it for you to stand in our way, to, uh, <laughs> to being, well, you know, actually we'd only been on this thing maybe 100 kilometers, and, and maybe as a police officer in New Brunswick, maybe it is his duty to, to grill us a little bit more. And uh, so, so therefore, yeah, I guess uh, he did... He did proceed to, to to conduct a little bit of more of an investigation into what was going on, and uh, so he asked us more questions about his bike, and just sort of walk, walked around it and around it, and kept kept repeating that just seemed like a, a really nice rig, I guess was was his uh, a phrase that kept coming up. So felt good about that, um, and I guess he, in speaking with us, I guess he also felt like we were responsible, and well, maybe not. Not as crazy as he might have assumed that we were when he pulled us over. So deeming us to be of sound mind and um, judging us to be responsible, he, in the end, um, just said that, you know, if, if you guys could, when cars come by, try to get over to the, maybe into the shoulder of the road, uh, and let them pass. And, um, you know, if, if you could do that, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just let you guys go. But he went on to say that he, couldn't promise that the next police officer wouldn't sort of have a different uh, a different assessment of the situation. So we, we thanked him profusely and uh, carried on along our way and uh, just made a point of pulling off into the gravel shoulder anytime we had a had traffic coming along, which fortunately wasn't all that often because it was a pretty quiet road. But uh, but when we did have to pull off, it was it was a bit of a pain because actually on this particular stretch of road there was a real uh, drop off between the paved road and the gravel shoulder. At times, there's like probably half a foot we'd drop uh, on this couch bike, which had the suspension rear swing arms and and the cushy leather cushions. But um, at the same time, it was it felt like uh, our couch bike was taking a bit of a beating uh, going up and down this uh, this uh, this road, uh, up and down the shoulder. But uh, but yeah, it, it managed it fine and we carried on our way for uh, for day two of our trip. Um, actually, after day two, so I guess along the way, shortly after the police officer um, stopped us and we carried on, um, the next the next sort of uh, challenge for us was that it started to pour rain. So we had to cover the couch in this tarp that we brought along for, for the purpose of rain protection. Uh, and in the end, I I guess what, what we wound up doing is covering the couch in this tarp and then sitting on top of the couch. So uh, <laughs> although the, the tarp was keeping the couch dry, we were getting just absolutely drenched. And, and actually, like, the, the, the depression that we caused in the cushion by sitting in it caused this little little pool to, to, to form uh, in a So it was like we were pedaling around in a little... Mr. Turtle Pool or something like that, which is uh, novel, but uh, not particularly comfortable. It makes for a, a, a fun story. Well, maybe your next invention needs to be the, the, the uh, pedal hot tub. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I had read that this thing, just to put it in perspective, is like seven inches wider than a Lincoln Navigator. That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty wide machine. But, um, <laughs> that's got to be but... tough to get off the road. Yeah, well, yeah, because I guess it takes that, like, if you want to get it on the shoulder, you're pretty much occupying the full width of the shoulder, which, which means I really prefer just to take the lane when I can, which which I, I do for the most part, um, just let cars go by us, and there's not, not traffic in both directions, that also usually worked out okay. Right. So how long did this, uh, how long were you guys gone, and uh, how many kilometers did you guys end up pedaling? Did you ever measure that? Uh, yeah, we all told we wound up pedaling about 500 kilometers. Um, about 350 kilometers of that was spent um, crossing Prince Edward Island, all the way from the, I have to say, from the west tip to the to the eastern tip of the island. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, the beginning chunk was in Brunswick, and, uh, and then the next, the last bit was in Prince Edward Island. And then after completing the with the Prince Edward Island, I guess that was when we decided to call it a day. Um, we we could have, and it would have been kind of exciting to take the ferry uh, back across um, 
Prince Edward Island into Nova Scotia. But, um, but Nova Scotia is, well, actually, Prince Edward Island has its fair share of hills as well. It's quite hilly on the, on the eastern side of the island. But, um, but Nova Scotia and, uh, Cape Breton, part of Nova Scotia are, are particularly hilly. And I guess after our, um, our adventures on, on the hills of Prince Edward Island, I guess we, we decided to call it a day after that. So it was, I guess, I think it was about eight days of, of riding that, uh, that we put in on the trip. Okay. So did you guys end up riding back to the van, or did you go, go get the van? Yeah, uh, we wound up just um, leaving the uh, couch bike in uh, the backyard of a person that uh, we happened upon uh, in New Brunswick, or in Prince Edward Island. And then we, we hitchhiked back to the van and uh, sort of reconnected that way. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tack is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tac.com or retailers near you. Your Adventure Sports Podcast t-shirt and stickers are waiting for you. Why don't you head on over to AdventureSportsPodcast.com and get yours today. Let people know you enjoy the show while you're out on your adventures. Well, I want to get into the canoe bike trip that you also took. That one uh, definitely fascinated me. But before we get into that, let's get into the bike CAD that you came up with. Uh, obviously, you love designing unusual bikes and maybe even regular <laughs> bikes, but you ended up coming up with bike CAD. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I guess I described earlier how I worked for all those bicycle companies that, that made for the most part, most of them made pretty high-end um, road or, and mountain bicycles. Uh, so during the, my tenure at these uh, at these companies, I, I'd often spend a lot of time doing uh, doing CAD drawings um, of these of these bikes, and I had this idea to to create a, a parametric CAD tool specifically for bicycles. And uh, initially, I I'd, I'd done it. Just as a hobby, because um, I was interested in programming and I was interested in in uh, the result I was hoping to achieve, and I intended to use it to design some of my own bikes, which ultimately I did. And I posted this um, little this little CAD tool I developed on my website, and I just made it available for people to use for free. And eventually, um, Serata Bicycles, which is a very legendary. Uh, bicycle company out of uh, New York State approached me about customizing the program to their needs. So I uh, I agreed to do do that, worked alongside them to, to make some changes to, to the program. And along the way, I realized that it probably had a greater potential to um, to serve the needs of, of all sorts of frame builders and eventually even bicycle fitters and bicycle shops. So... Um, since I guess about 2004, I, I started selling this commercial version of the program called BikeCAD Pro, and I've continued just to, to uh, add functionality to the program ever since, and uh, it's become more and more popular. The point where now uh, I, I go to this, I go to a show called the North American Handmade Bicycle Show every year, and, and most of the builders at that show uh, use my 
my software to, to design their bicycle. So, so that's something I've become quite, quite proud of over the years and uh, something I'm dedicated to, uh, to maintaining uh, as enhance, as changes uh, evolve in the bicycle industry. Oh, that's pretty cool to know a lot of the, the people at that show are, are using your software to build their, their custom bikes. And I imagine the, the custom bike building community out there is actually fairly large. It is, yeah. It's, it's a way b- bigger uh, industry than I I realized when I set out to, to sell this this program. I, I just sort of came up with the, the price for it somewhat arbitrarily, but um, I decided once I sold it, I whoever bought it, I would just provide free updates from forever. And uh, I guess uh, it's now more than 10 years later and I'm continuing to do it that way, and it's working out pretty well. Oh, very cool. Congratulations. So there is a separate site for that software. It's bikecad.ca. So if you anybody's a custom bike builder out there, go check that out and uh, see if it might be something for you. Pretty neat. Yeah, well, thank you. So the one I was uh, pretty intrigued with, I mean, the the couch bike is, is definitely a cool contraption for sure and well-built. Um, but I was also intrigued with this uh, canoe bike setup that you guys had come up with and taken a trip on. So tell me about the, the, the reasoning behind it to, to begin a trip like this and why you wanted to tow a canoe with a bike and then tell me where you guys went and, uh, and how you did that without having to backtrack. Yeah, I guess the idea actually came from a friend of mine, um, a friend Gary, who I'd met in university and just sort of got this idea that it would be really fun to, um, to, to somehow transport a, a canoe up to up to the glacier where this this river initiates and um, and and just paddle it back down to his home in, in Calgary and, and he thought of me knowing that um, I'm often up for uh, a fun trip and I may be able to help him out with uh, I guess uh, I, I think he I think he more or less envisioned this this idea of creating a trailer to tow the canoe on. And uh, so we just got talking and decided that the two of us could um, maybe work together to, to tow this canoe. If, if we used a tandem bicycle, we could construct a trailer to tow the canoe and, and, and get it up to the glacier and somehow somehow paddle our way back. And along the way, I guess we realized that um, maybe a, a folding bicycle, a folding tandem bicycle would be would allow us to to not only pedal from Calgary up to the source of the river, but but also pack the bike into the canoe to get it home. So the canoe actually has wheels strapped onto it. It kind of it, it is the rigid member of the trailer, and then you just have the nose strapped onto the back of the bike. So it actually works out pretty well that way. Yeah, it, it did work out well. Um, yeah. So after uh, testing our um, canoe tandem setup. We, Gary and I, um, did just leave from his home in in Calgary and just followed the more or less the the path of the Bow River uh, into Banff National Park and uh, up the Icefields Parkway to um, to Bow Lake. And from at Bow Lake, we just sort of left the canoe and just for. Symbolic reasons, we, we hiked up to the Bow Glacier, didn't, didn't bother towing the canoe with us, but, uh, sort of got up to the, the glacier, um, spent a night there, came back down and, um, folded up our, our tandem bicycle, put it into the, put it into the canoe with our trailer and all of our other gear and, and just paddled across Bow Lake and, um, and it da- down into the Bow River. Um, to, to make our way back to uh, to Calgary, um, I guess not unlike uh, like couch bike adventure. Um, this uh, this canoe biking trip didn't didn't go without uh, a few hitches as well. So we wound up um, getting into some trouble in this, in some white water. This this trouble was somewhat foreshadowed by some people we spoke to um, earlier on uh, who who were sort of had some some concerns about our choice of canoe. It turns out we were using a, an aluminum canoe, which was just, uh, I guess, sort of the cheapest, best canoe my friend Gary could find on short notice. 
um, and to each of us that uh, had done a number of canoe trips in Ontario, uh, in, in lakes in Ontario, uh, seemed like a reasonable choice. Uh, we learned that uh, actually aluminum canoes are a horrible choice uh, for white water and for rivers <laughs> in general, because unlike, a, say, an ABS canoe, which will just sort of slide off of rocks, an aluminum canoe will hit a rock and sort of tend to just sort of grab onto it. It, just, it doesn't slide off of it. Um, it catches on the rock, and, and that's exactly what uh, what wound up happening to us uh, in this whitewater on, on the Bow River, and um, wound up spinning around, having our canoe sort of going down the river backwards at one point, feeling like we'd, we'd saved our bacon, but... Um, we still, of course, had to navigate this crazy white rotter to only get caught again on the rock. And um, this time we got caught sort of sideways and um, water ultimately wound up pouring into the canoe. And uh, we ultimately just had to abandon ship and we managed to get most of our stuff out of the boat. And we'd actually been through some pretty rough water beforehand, like just after leaving um, Bow Lake. Um, and, and we felt like we'd kind of earned our stripes and things that we'd, we'd been through a lot and, and we were looking forward to meeting our friend Ray who had, had arranged to, um, meet with us on the river, um, in his kayak and, and sort of paddle with us. Uh, we finally rounded the bend and saw our friend Ray sitting by the, sitting by the shore, uh, in his kayak ready to, uh, ready to sort of escort us the rest of the way to Kenmore and, uh, and this was a real relief to us because we felt like, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna paddle up ahead. He'll sort of choose the best route for us and we can just sort of maybe, maybe, uh, sort of relax a little bit because, because I guess we were pretty, pretty stressed out from, uh, just the intensity of, of what we'd already been through. And, uh, and yeah, I guess, and what it was just so ironic is that, uh, it probably only like just, few minutes into our into our paddle with our friend Ray that uh we wound up wedging ourselves onto this rock and and capsizing. So uh it was really quite anticlimactic, I guess. Um but like I say, big relief to have our friend Ray there to sort of help bail us out. So um so yeah we we were a couple of drowned rats I guess uh after moments after um this all happened and we, we wound up sort of getting all our stuff out of the, the boat. Actually, one of our bags actually floated like three kilometers down the river. Um, and Ray had to go and go and retrieve it in his kayak, as I recall. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we, we, we did get eventually get all of our stuff to the shore. Unfortunately, it was the wrong shore and we knew this, but uh, we just happened to be closer to the shore anyway. So we, we just got out. On the, the the shore of the the river, um, like I say, completely the wrong side of the river because it's at this point was completely inaccessible to to the road, which was necessary to um, ultimately kind of getting us back uh, to civilization to um, to deal with our uh, canoe, which incidentally was still wedged on the on the rock and completely wrapped around the rock, as I recall. Um, so. We had to actually come back the next day to get uh, most of our uh, our stuff. I guess we got we sort of crossed the river uh, with some of Ray's help um, to get our essentials across, but then had to go back the next day to recover all of the rest of our stuff, our bike and our trailer and, and everything else, um, which turned out to be quite a quite an elaborate thing. We called it, called on some of Ray's other friends to to help set up a a pulley system to, um, to to move everything across the river, and ultimately to to take a crack at getting our canoe off the rocks as well, which um, was a real struggle. And we're actually just about to give up on that and just just assume our our canoe is gonna live out the rest of its days on the bottom of the Bow River. Um, but but uh, as it turns out, uh, just sort of at the last minute and our last. Last crack at it, uh, we were able to free the boat, um, largely uh, thanks to Ray, who was bouncing on it in his wetsuit uh, uh, in, out in the river. Um, managed to free the boat, pull the pull the canoe to shore, 
Gary was weeks later was able to eventually bring it back to his uh, property in Calgary, where he imagined uh, maybe setting up, maybe using it to plant a garden or something. He thought he'd, that would be a fun, uh, a fun use for this crumpled canoe. Um, incidentally, uh, he was not able to do that because somebody actually stole this. Uh, this crumpled canoe out of his backyard, which is kind of shocking, but I guess <laughs> aluminum uh, does have a certain, certain value in scrap metal, so I guess that's what somebody probably intended to do with it. So, Wow, after all that fighting to get it back, somebody just walks away with it for <laughs> scrap aluminum. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that sounds like such a cool way to do it, to be able to to pedal up and then throw the bike inside the canoe and paddle back down. I mean, some of the, the logistics of that kind of trip are, are usually pretty annoying because you had to stage two different cars and then drive yeah. back and get the other one. So that's a, what a great idea to, to come up with, to do it that way. Yeah. Well, that was the beauty of the, the idea anyways, was that we wouldn't have to involve any sort of cars. We just uh, be completely self-supported. And, um, and I guess we would have done that had it not been for our screw up on the, um, in the, in the rapids. But, um, <laughs> in the end, we were able to finish the trip. We did have to use some cars to ultimately transport a, a second canoe, which a, another friend of Ray's was kind enough to lend us, um, for the remaining part of our trip. So we, we just went back to the spot where we capsized earlier and, and we were able to complete the rest of our trip, um, without, uh, without any other major issues. So so we consider it a, a success in the end. <laughs> That's cool. Well, you end up with uh, more adventure than you had set out to uh, to achieve, but uh, I think you, you came out with some good stories on top of it. Yeah. Well, the website is bikeforest.com. So go check out Brent's creations on the site. There's, uh, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that he's created, a lot of things that other people have submitted. I mean, you can find... You know, things like the family truckster and the hula bike and, uh, and the treadmill bike and all kinds of tall bikes and short bikes and, and quite frankly, some seriously dangerous bikes from, from what I could tell. But it's a great site. If you guys are bike enthusiasts out there, go check out bikeforest.com and, and see what's out there for you. Uh, Brent, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing some of these stories with us. I think what you're doing is very cool, and it sounds like you've found a way to live your life doing something you truly enjoy. All right. Well, thanks a lot for, uh, for the chat. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. All right. You have heard all the hype around paleo, low-carb, organics, diet powders, and the lot. How does one sort out what really works? Good news. Gary Collins has done the homework for you. Regain and maintain your health and live that life of vitality. Learn more at primalpowermethod.com.